Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we hear from Australia legend Adam Gilchrist, the not-so-legendary but still pretty good Damien Fleming and beaming Chris Stocks from the UK to preview the third test between South Africa and England from the Oval. But before we get to all that, I'm going to quickly knock over some top-order news, starting with England's incredible comeback to beat India and win the Women's World Cup at Lords. The hosts look completely out of it as India surged to 3 for 191, chasing 229 to win, but a stunning collapse of 7 for 28, sparked by six wickets from Anya Shrubsoul, delivered England a famous nine-run win and a World Cup title. It was a brilliant display by Shrubsoul, who claimed 6 for 46 in front of a packed Lords crowd. We'll recap the rest of this match with Stocksy a little bit later on. To the pay dispute between Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association, and I'm afraid to say there's not a whole lot to update you on. Both sides continue to meet, and depending on who you talk to, progress of some kind has been made. CA Chief Executive James Sutherland is supremely confident the Ashes will go ahead as scheduled, as will the two-test tour to Bangladesh. Once a deal has been struck, we'll bring you a special edition of the podcast, wrapping up all the details. And finally, before we hear from the founding father, Damien Fleming, Australia's limited overs master blaster, Chris Lynn, has gone under the knife to repair his damaged shoulder. Lynn had surgery in Melbourne on Monday, and it's confident he'll be back for the start of the KFC Big Bash League season with the Brisbane Heat. Okay, that's the new stuff out of the way. After this short musical sting, you'll hear from a fast bowler whose pace was once described as a gentle tickle at sunset. Well, probably. Damien Fleming. I'm delighted to welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast, the man who started it all. He's known as the godfather around these parts, Mr. Damien Fleming. Flem, welcome back. I assume uh, it's good to be back, Sam. I, I'm assume you're you're uh, praying to me right at the moment because um, you've you've taken the podcast, you've taken it probably to levels that uh, I only dreamed about, but um, no doubt we'll get a few extra listeners for this week. All the short thoughts, so will we? Absolutely, mate. I owe everything to you, and I'm sure you know that. What have you been doing with your time since we uh, last heard you on here? Yeah, just waiting for the call, really. Um, it's been probably nine months since uh, I was last on the podcast. So, um, yeah, it's sort of hard. I didn't want to go out and make myself too busy just in case, um, you know, you called. Um, so um, it's been pretty quiet, mate. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I just assumed that you would have your hands full of speaking engagements, talking about... 99 World Cup semi-final, 96 World Cup semi-final, uh, hat-tricks, oh, well, dropped hat-tricks, I'm things getting, like that. Yeah, well, I'm getting a couple of requests a week, but, you know, if I say yes to that and you call, um, you know, what takes precedence? And, and obviously the podcast does. But uh, on a serious note, yes, I have been out. I've been pretty busy in the in the winter. Um, you know, obviously being president of uh, the Australians have taken hat-tricks on Test Debut Club. Um, you know, there's a fair bit of work to be done. Um, obviously, as the listeners would know, membership um, we're in a bit of a uh, 
top spot at the moment. It's still only myself in the club. Um, so we've gone on a bit of a recruitment drive in the winter. Hopefully uh, Cricket Australia and the ACA can come together and um, we can see three or four deputants and um, potentially someone to, to join the club and, and maybe be secretary. You know, just a little bit of help from the club would, would be appreciated, Sam. Now, it's interesting you mention that because apart from taking hat-tricks on test debut, your other area of expertise is undoubtedly fast bowling. So I'm sure that you were impressed with what you saw at Trent Bridge the other week when South Africa's quicks tore apart England. What did you make of that performance? Yeah, fantastic, wasn't it? I must admit, once um, I thought Rabada was, uh, it was a pretty tough call to um, suspend him from the second test match. Um, I, I just think of... Uh, Someone like my old roommate, Mervyn Hughes. In this day and age, um, with the um, you know the sledging, um, the mental disintegration of batsmen that that Merv used to um, take to, to uh, the full amount back in the eighties and the nineties, he wouldn't play consecutive Test matches, Mervyn Hughes. <laughs> these days, he'd be reported one Test match, he'd miss two and play one. So he, he he'd be playing two Test matches a series. So once Rabada went, I, I, I really thought that England would, would go to nil up. But as we've seen with this South African team over the last few years, and, and we saw it out here last summer, didn't we? Um, yeah. No way beat the Viers. Um, we're at home. They had some injury concerns. They were staying doing his shoulder there at the Wacker. But they galvanised, don't they? I think Dupacete must be an outstanding captain. He, you know, he's a fine player, but no doubt they, they play for him. And... The way that they went about it, we know Philander's, you know, very good with the, the new ball. Um, but I thought the genuine pace from, from someone like Morris, who has probably been seen more as a white ball cricketer. You know, he's got a, a pace, he's nice and tall, and he hits a real big ball. Um, but I, I wouldn't have thought he could have the impact test level like he did. And, um, you know, the way he bounced out, Cook, and, you know, said to me that. If they're getting, if the Poms are going to bounce out in their home conditions against that South African attack, um, our boys, you know, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, Paddington, you know, they, they have two or three yards on South African, and we're going to get a lot more bounce out of this. So it, this could be body line two. This could be body line two, Sam. Um, I know there's fielding restrictions, but we can't go full body line from 1932-33, but... I'd say, I'd say Dazza Lehman would have been looking at those highlights and, and the plan will be um, don't be pitching too many balls up to uh, the English top order. So do you think that's the blueprint is to really bang it in? The, the way the South Africans have bowled to England is to bang it in, bowl short, test out their, their pulling and hooking and then when they're on the back foot, pitch one up and get a few pinned either bowled or LBW? Yeah, I mean, it always, and when we talk about uh, biology, you're always constantly reading the pitch conditions and what the batsmen are doing. So, you know, if, it is, if you're bowing on day one at the MCG and it's a little bit green and we know about the tennis ball bounce um, and there's movement, well, you, you are still going to pitch the ball up because um, batsmen, top-order batsmen are going to nick a, a late swing delivery or late seaming delivery at that sort of pace as well. But... I'd be thinking the short ball will play a big part um, when the pitch flattens out a little bit, the ball gets a little bit softer. The short ball will be a major factor um, as the game goes on and um, and as the, as the ball gets a bit older. You know, setting field, 
you know, when Cook Hook, what surprised me most about that is he's not a bad player to short ball through the leg side. Um, there was two back. So there was no win either way there. Even if you hit a four, it was going to encourage um, the South Africans to go with that short ball. And he didn't obviously play the one he got out on um, well. But um, if you're going to stand up and, and try and take on our Australian attack, um, I think you're going to have to lose. You will lose. Kerry O'Keefe, Skull, has said that uh, he thinks that the bounce in particular will find out Joe Root. He's their star batsman and their captain now. Do you agree with Skull? Do you think that the bounce in Australia, he didn't have a great tour back here in 2013-14, but no Englishman really did. Do you think that the bounce in Australia will actually be the Achilles heel for Root? Because there, there really isn't much kryptonite going around for him at the moment. No, nah, he's a star, isn't he? I mean, what a great bunch of modern-day batsmen we've got. You know, with Steve Smith and Warner and Williamson, who's probably got a, the best technique going around, A.B. De Vere's, Coley, um, and, of course, Joe Root. And um, I, I like the way that he's probably progressed his game, um, particularly in the white ball, um, but he's been able to score quickly in T20 cricket and in one-day cricket, um, averaging over 15 test match cricket. But I suppose he was young back when they toured here last time, and, and obviously Mitchell Johnson was on fire. Um, I wouldn't say he's, you know, totally susceptible to the short ball, but if you're planning, it's definitely an option to him once you get settled, if you get your fields right and if you execute well there. Um, and I suppose until he's come out of here and, and averaged over 50 in a series, you know, the question marks will be there whether he can get runs out here. So... Um, no doubt the short ball would be a tactic to him at some stage, but as I said before, you, you obviously got to be constantly leading the pitch conditions as well. If, if the ball's um, you know moving, um, you, you've got to you've got to bowl four. And and someone like Joe Root, well, he's as susceptible as anyone if um, if you're bowling high quality out swingers or or seaming the ball in. So um, I, I don't necessarily think it's a deficiency in his game, but it's it's definitely a tactic that can be utilised out here in Australia. Everybody is looking forward to seeing those young four quicks on the park. You mentioned them before, Stark, Hazelwood, Pattinson, Cummins all together. You look back at the late 90s, early 2000s, and the crop of fast bowlers that was going around for Australia back then, there were likes of McGrath, Gillespie, Lee, Kaspervich, Rifle, Hughes, Bickle. Um, that's probably all. Do you want to see those four big quicks playing on the same team and on the park at the same time at some stage this summer? Yeah, let them lose, Sam. Let's see it. Um, that might not be great for Gaza Lion unless we, uh, you know, bat um, Matty Wade at six. But um, I, I think there could be certain times that we can do that, particularly if you play someone like Glenn Maxwell um, as a top-order batsman, you know, who can provide the handy off-spin. But, uh, you know, you talk about the names of, of sort of my era, you know, besides probably Brett Lee and Jason Gillespie, um, these are these guys are quicker than that other group, um, and and they're also tall tall as well. So ninety miles an hour, they all bowl a bit differently as well, which I like. Their stock balls are just a little bit different. You know, Tadaki will generally tries to bowl a bit fuller because he can swing that that ball, particularly the left-handers. Josh is a is a little bit more short of a length, um, but he can bowl out swingers in the right condition. And um, and Pado. Paddo can actually adjust either way. He can bowl full outs when he's early. Um, but then just use his pace and bounce. 
uh, which he did obviously in the county season over there. And Patrick Cummins, I mean, he, he's got a little bit of uh, genuine hostility about him. I thought he was rushing the Indian batsmen in India in their conditions. Yeah. But if he's doing that against quality batsmen over there, what's he going to be doing out here? So I think he can be really someone that Smithy throws the ball to and, and, and just make them uncomfortable. Whatever you do, bowl fast, mix it up. You know, he's a, he's a smart bowler as, as well with good varieties. But he's sort of like the shock bowler, just to go in. Um, you know, maybe he might have a more bouncer focus than the other three of them. But um, And the other beauty of those four is, well, in particular, um, three of them bat really well. Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, I was on radio with Cameron White, and he, he mentioned... He believed James Patterson could bat seven in Test cricket. Now that that sounds massive to me, but um, he's got runs already in his short Test career. Um, if he could be a number seven, averaging thirty-five, well, that just opens up the options for the selectors. You know, Mitchell Stark's a fantastic low-order batsman. Patrick Cummins is getting better each year as well. So there's actually runs in them as well, which which is exciting. What about the English, Flem? I know you don't hold too much favour for them, but what about the England attack? Brought Anderson, Wood, Stokes. Can they get it done down here? They don't have the pace the Aussies have. Anderson doesn't have a great record in Australia. How do you see them performing in the Ashes? Yeah, I'm, it's going to be tough. It, it, is it, is it the, the last hurrah for, for Broad and Anderson? And, they, and they've got one big series left. I thought Broad was outstanding last series where they got flogged. He, he was very unlucky. Um, he uh, charged in, he's bounced, he loves bowling here. He, he, he learned to bowl a little bit fuller. Um, so he's getting those vertical nips behind. Um, James Anderson, um, you know, will the, the lack of pace hurt him? You know, I'm a big James Anderson fan. He reminds me so much of Sir Richard Hadley, that economical run-up, brings uh, the ball both ways to right and left-hand batsman. You know, has he got like he did in 2010-11. I reckon that was probably his only one big series over here. You know, that's six or seven years ago. I don't mind Wood as a, as, as a player, but he looks like he's down in confidence. I, I'd actually be, um, if I was England, I'd be getting in some county games to get some bags because he's the sort of guy I reckon could do, do quite well out here in Australia. You know, that short run-up, you're not expecting it quick, but he can bowl 90 miles an hour. He'll enjoy the extra pace out here. Um, and Stokes is going to be handy, but I, I wouldn't think that he'd, he'd dominate a series uh, with the ball. So he's going to be handy as your second or third change. So my big question for England would be just the, the, the lack of one genuine quick. Um, and I would be I'd be taking whoever it is, their, their quickest bowler in county cricket, um, particularly if they're tall, um, I'd be bringing him out here because um, I, I can't see him taking 20 wickets, winning the series without someone with a bit of bit of serious heat. All right, well, you might have said it, but what do you think about uh, your long-term projection here, Flem? Are you going to give it to Aussies 5-0 again, or how do you see the uh, the contest unfolding? Yeah, I, my worry for England is, is to get 20 wickets and also to not have a dominant spinner. And uh, Mo and Ali's been very handy um, Test player, you know, handy runs in the lower order, you know, 10 wickets in that first Test match against South Africa. But you know, if, the, if the Australians show him respect, you know, he shouldn't be running through us. So I, I 
I, I, it's hard for me to identify where we lose a test match. Um, we know with our pitches, sometimes they can be overcooked a little bit and, and they draws. So I might just go, I might just go four nil with a draw. Mm, okay. Well, well, we're about to hear from Adam Gilchrist in a moment, and he reveals his best shot. So I want to know, Flem what your best ball was. So I'm thinking it's something like uh, something down the avenue of apprehension or the cul-de-sac of calamity, perhaps, something in that sort of area. Well, often it was the Fleming's freeway. Right. Um, I used to get a lot of runs there. Um, for me, I, when I think one particular delivery that, that I did like, and it was Ashes, I knocked over Mark Ramplicash. Uh, with a, uh, a late outswing of the old ball, just as him and uh, Alex Stewart were putting on a partnership on day five. And I uh, did a speaking gig with Mark, um, the last England Ashes, and, and and he got asked who were the best bowlers he'd faced, and he named, you know, Akram and Ambrose, and he goes, actually, the best ball I ever faced was this man here, pointing to me. And, and he described the delivery that I knocked him over in Adelaide, 98, 99. No, I responded, well, it's nice for you to say that, but it was probably only about the eighth best ball that I bowled. Oh, is this, is this a true story? It was only my eighth best ball. There was seven better. Is this a true story, Flem? Is this fake news? This is not fake news. So he was a bit disappointed that he got knocked over. The best ball he ever got knocked over wasn't in the top five. Well, mate, you're a, man of many, you're a man of many talent. We thank you very much for your time. And look, stay by the phone. The call from the podcast could happen at any moment. So, yeah, if there's yeah, any... Yeah, can, like, can you give me a bit of period of time? Because, I, I, mate, I, I just want to make sure I'm free. Mate, we wanted to get you in for a weekly show, but the budget isn't big enough. Um, yeah, fair call. All right, thanks, Dan. See you, Flem. Bye. Adam Gilchrist, thanks for joining us on the Unplayable Podcast, mate. Can you tell us your favourite catch? My favourite catch, personally, that I took was off Colin Miller's bowling uh, in Hamilton, New Zealand. Um, nothing spectacular about it, but uh, it's in a game where I think Funky got quite a few wickets, but he bowling his spinners, but then he put an arm ball down the leg side and Stephen Fleming, left-handed New Zealand captain, leg glanced it, and I was over there and went straight in. So probably more luck than, <laughs> than good planning, but uh, yeah, not, nothing spectacular, but as a keeper, any keeper knows up to the stumps, if you can affect a catch like that, you, you feel pretty happy. How about the most difficult bowler you kept to? Most challenging bowler I kept to, I think, was Michael Bevan. <laughs> Which, Bevo. Yeah, Bevo's not renowned for his bowling. Obviously, his batting was... He was so masterful in that, but uh, he did contribute with some handy wickets at times. But those, you know, the Chinaman, the left arm leggy, fast action, uh, very difficult to pick out of the hand. So that's why it was so challenging. And Bevo will concede himself. He didn't have the greatest control. So whilst he could land it right on a sixpence, he could also throw them far and wide too. So it was always a challenge. Gilly, you had strokes all around the ground. What do you think your best stroke was? I think my cut shot was probably my, my strength uh, and probably led to my downfall a few times because teams started to go around the wicket and try and tighten me up and I kept trying to play the shot. So, But um, yeah, I really enjoyed just freeing the arms up and that probably brought me a significant amount of runs. Yeah, lots of opponents over the years. Who was the easiest to rattle? 
I don't know if he was the easiest player to rattle, but I think Neil McKenzie from South Africa was one. We all knew that he had a whole lot of superstitions and routines that he had to go through. And I was told quite early that he hated stepping on the lines, the crease lines, or any lines where you mark centre or he just had this phobia of you know, lines. So I often spent a lot of time scratching, scratching lines in the crease line and in around where he had to stand. So that was always a bit of fun just to try and see how that affected him. But he was a good player. What about the most underrated opponent you faced? I think someone who comes to mind that might have been a bit underrated that certainly challenged us and we had some good tussles with was Craig McMillan from New Zealand. Really, really tough character um, and got the most out of all his ability, I think. But um, yeah, he probably isn't a name that everyone thinks was a, a superstar, but I found him a, a real challenge and rated him highly as a cricketer. Yeah, a bit of a run-in with him. Was it Brisbane about the, the walking stick? Mm. So, you know, obviously... Uh, a good niggle with him. <laughs> yeah. Good bloke, good character. And finally, your favourite individual rival. The rival that I found most difficult to play against was Murali from Sri Lanka, but it's a great rivalry because of late, you know, getting to know him since and, and learning more about him, I've learnt that he was fearful of me and I was fearful of him, so it's an interesting rivalry. Um, yeah, perception, hey? It's always uh, wondering what others are doing and um, it can get into your mind, but it was a great rivalry. I, you know, he got me a number of times and there was times where I got him. So, yeah, really fond memories of taking on him, at, you know, the highest wicket taker of all time. It was a, a, a thrill to be locked in a bit of a rivalry with him. On the line is our man on the ground in the UK, Chris Stocks. And Stocksy, we're going to start with England's Women's World Cup win. What a comeback, Stocksy. What a match. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? Um, England looked like they, they, they'd blown it, but Anya Shrubsol, um turned out one of the, the great World Cup final performances there, taking 6-46 to 46 and dragging it back for England at the end. And it was um, a fitting end to what's been a, a fantastic tournament. How, how about the reception over there in the UK? The, the crowds were up. The Lords was packed out for the final. Uh, a lot of coverage uh, in the media, both in England and internationally. It was such a really good boost for the women's game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's been on. Um, it's been on every pretty much every game. Been on TV over here. The crowds have been good. You mentioned Lords yesterday was was a sellout, um, which is kind of you know un, unheard of for a standalone women's game. Um, today's papers, the, the England's win is on on front and the back pages, which is something that obviously doesn't happen very often as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a great tournament. It's been well received, and uh, I've seen Anya Shrubsall this morning mentioned that she thinks it's a watershed moment for the women's game, and it, it kind of feels like that in in, in the UK. Um, last summer, they they started off with their own version of the Big Bash, the, the Kia Super League, um, but it didn't really have that much visibility. None of the games were on TV. The ECB weren't sure whether it was ready to be televised live, what the standard would be like. Um, but the second season of that kicks off in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we've got eight of those games on TV, and it feels like the moment is now there for, for women's cricket in the UK to kind of take off. Can you see England's win? Uh, they beat Australia in the group stage. They won the World Cup. Do you think they're going to go to Australia with a bit of an edge ahead of the women's ashes this summer? Yeah, good question there, Sam. Um, you would think so, wouldn't you? I mean, that, that, 
that group game was um, as tight as anything. Australia, I think, have for a long time been been seen as the, the best side in the world. It did work out for them in this tournament. Um, that Ashes is going to be tough for England, but, but yeah, that, I think winning the World Cup will give them a, a huge boost. Uh, and you, you would think they'll, they'll travel to Australia in, in um, late September, October, with, with, with lots of confidence, and it could be a really, really thrilling series. Okay, on to England's men's side, and the England selectors named a 13 men squad for the third test at the Oval. Gary Balance is out with a broken finger. In his place is Essex Thomas Wesley, who will debut at number three, and Dalwood Mallon is the reserve batsman. Uh, Stocks, you know Wesley pretty well. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's um, he's waited for his chance for a number of years. He's been in the frame for at least or two, three years. Um, you guys may remember he scored a, a century against Australia in a tour match for Essex at Chelmsford a couple of summers ago before that um, 2015 Ashes. He's averaging 50 over the last two summers. Solid technique, very strong off his legs. He looks the real deal. Um, he's 28, so he's not, he's not a kid. He's coming into international cricket fairly late, but that will mean he knows his own game. I think if he's going to succeed in, in, in a test match cricket, I mean, this looks like the time for him to, to come in. And obviously against South Africa, it's going to be tough. They've got a, a fine attack, as we saw at um, Trent Bridge last week. Um, but I think he's he's in the right space at the moment to have a really good crack at, at test match cricket. And I'm hoping he goes well for him. And Malin, he made a sensational international debut with a rapid-fire 78 against the Proteas. That was in T20 cricket. Is he actually a chance of playing Stocksy? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he wouldn't be in the squad if he didn't have a chance of playing. Um, I think he, he, he got in ahead of maybe some other people who uh, have got better numbers this year in first-class cricket because England liked what they saw when he was around the team for, for that T20 match in Cardiff a few weeks ago against South Africa. He, as you mentioned, he scored 78 in his debut international innings. Um, no sign of nerves. He, he played brilliantly in helping England win that match. Uh, and he, he, he looks like he's got the character to succeed at, at, at the highest level. Um, the, the equation England will make before the Oval is whether they, they go with a um, second spinner in Liam Dawson. I know uh, Trevor Bayliss, the coach, said he's their number one spinner, but we all know Moan Ali really is. Um, they, if they go with Dawson, they won't play in Milan, but I think Milan has a very good chance of playing. It just depends what England want to do in terms of their batting line, whether they have confidence that Wesley will succeed in in his first match and whether they think the rest of the back lineup's got enough strength to kind of cope with the South African attack, they may well decide to err on the side of caution and go with an extra batsman in Milan. Uh, if they did, uh, I'd, I'm pretty confident he'd, he'd do pretty well. The batting has come under a lot of fire, Stocksy, after that second test performance, particularly from Nasser Hussain and Michael Vaughan. He's been very strong with his comments, saying that they didn't respect test cricket mm. and they didn't adapt and uh, they weren't up for the challenge. Wesley and Milan, if they come in, are they going to be able to sort of be the quick fix that England are after? Um, I don't think it's a quick fix. I mean, it's never great in the middle of a series when you make um, you know two changes. Wesley coming in is... Uh, on the surface, it's for an injury to Gary Balance. Whether Gary would have got a chance at the Oval, he probably would have done, but a lot of people weren't very happy with, with how he's batted on his, on his return to Test Match Cricket. I think we spoke last week, didn't we? It's his third go, and he's not looked that convincing. Um, I think uh, the, the, the guys coming in, they've got a tough challenge coming in, dropped in the middle of the series. It's going to be tough for them. 
but if they can thrive and, and do well against this South Africa attack, it puts them in really good stead to kind of nail down places looking ahead to, to this winter in the Ashes. And that's what everything this summer, this northern summer, we're looking at in the context of what is the 11 going to be for the Ashes? They're only going to be in good enough shape to contend with Australia when come that first test at the Gabba. Uh, and they need they need the guys coming in now to to kind of make a really good fist of it and show they can, they can do it at test match level because we're going to be in a bit of trouble if uh, we're still looking at, you know, Make, making changes for that first test in Brisbane, even need to settle eleven, especially settle top six or seven batting lineup. They're gonna they're gonna compete uh, this winter in Australia. So balance was ruled out with injury, as you said, his uh, place was under question uh, before he got mm-hmm. injured. Keaton Jennings, he's made forty four runs in four innings in the series so far. Are these guys long term investments, Stocksy? Uh, do they need some scores to be safe, or is it like you said they got to put some performance on the board, looking towards the Ashes? Yeah, I mean. I've, Balance, you, you mentioned he's obviously out with an injury. If, if Wesley does well, I mean, Wesley has to get the, the rest of this series. Um, this talk, Gary Ballins might be back for the fourth test or fit enough to be selected for that. I, I think that needs to go out the window. They need to give a new guy coming in at three a decent run. And I, for me, that would mean this series and also the West Indies series as well. He, need, he needs to be given a chance. So I think Balance now is out of the equation um, when it comes to number three. Could he come back into the squad or into the team, lower down the order, potentially? Uh, I can't see that. You mentioned Keaton Jennings. I mean, he's averaging 11 after two tests of this series. But England is sticking with him because he's got a, a debut 100 in Mumbai um, late last year. He was dropped on naught. Um, but, you know, people are allowed chances, aren't they, in test match cricket? He's got a 50. Uh, in his next game as well. So he, he had a kind of a decent start in India, but he's not had a great summer. They want to give him a run. I think he'll get to the end of this series, but there are other people they can look at uh, before the Ashes. Mark Stoneman is one um, guy moved from Durham to Surrey over our close season. He's been uh, scoring lots of runs in, in the county championship this summer. He's averaging close to 60. Really unlucky not to get a pick for this test match, actually. The people were thinking he might come in at three, but the fact he's a left-hander, and um, we've also got two other left-handers in, in, in the top three, in Cook and Jennings, and then he was he, was, he missed out in, in favour of Wesley. Um, so I, I think Jennings will get the end of this series, but there is someone in Mark Stoneman who could come in um, for the West Indies series later on last summer, and obviously for the Ashes as well, if, if Jennings doesn't work out. Let's look at the, the fast bowlers. Mark Wood, he has series figures of one for 177. He didn't take a wicket at Trent Bridge. Uh, Stocks, he was seen as the impact bowl, the really fast bowl that England need, especially in Australia for the Ashes. We heard Damien Fleming earlier say that he thinks Woods has lost a little bit of confidence and he could go back to county cricket to get some of that momentum back. What do you think? Should he should England selectors persevere with him at test match level or would a stint at first class level do him good? Yeah, I, I think um, whatever Woods figures in this series, one, one thing is certain in my mind uh, if he's fit he gets on the plane for the Ashes series he will he will be on be on that plane for the Ashes be in the squad because he is as you say that impact bowler the guy who can bowl really quick and when he's on form he, he's deserving of a place in the 11 um, it's as simple as that he's not had a great series but you've got to remember Mark Wood he's had a lot of injuries over the last couple of years he's had real problems um, with his ankle he's had three operations on that this is his first summer back since all those ops. Uh, he did fairly well in one-day cricket, but he's played more cricket in the last few months than he has in, in the last two years. So 
I think England needs to look at probably resting him for the Oval, uh, or at least looking at it long term, saying rest him for the Oval, play in a couple of tests against West Indies, maybe at Old Trafford. But they really need to manage his fitness so that he is in good shape, uh, both physically and mentally, for, for that Ashes tour, because I think they will need him if they're going to do anything in Australia. Um, but it's a difficult one with Wood because, as I mentioned, he's had all those injuries. Um, they just need to be really careful how they manage him. To me, that would mean hitting at, at the Oval and then probably playing Toby Rowland-Jones, uh, who will be making his test debut. Right, well, one fast bowler who's coming back for the Proteas is Cajiso Robada after a one-match suspension. And the Proteas did wonderfully well without him at Trent Bridge. Uh, geez, that's a formidable attack now, isn't it, Stocksy? When you put Robada back in there with Morkel, Philander... And Chris Morris. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this uh, at Spring Bridge, thinking bring Rabada into, back into that attack, and it's it's pretty scary if you're, if you're a batsman. You, you wouldn't get any uh, any let up, would you? You know, they're all on form. Um, Morris, to me, was the guy who really impressed me at. Um, Trent Bridge. I mean, we all know what Philander can do, and he was fantastic. Um, but Morris in his first test uh, in England, and he, he bowled brilliant on the final day. And he bowled with some real pace and some real venom, and he, he looks like a guy who can cause some damage for the rest of the series. I mean, yeah, this South Africa attack looks fantastic, and Rabada coming back in. I mean, he's going to have a score to settle as well after being uh, banned for the last test, and he's probably not very happy about that. So. I think at the Oval, where fast bowlers can do well, um, they could cause some damage. England need to, to bat well and kind of see off the new ball spells from these guys because they, they're going to be um, pretty difficult to, to counteract. For Lander, Stocksy, I'm sure that England would have looked at him at the start of the series and, and highlighted him as a, as a bowler they've got to counter and be very wary of. But while he's done damage with the ball, he's also done a lot of damage with the bat. He's the third leading run scorer in the, in the series, Stocksy. He's, uh, he's the best all-rounder on show at the moment. Yeah, well, someone, someone joked um, before Fat Duplessis' press conference before the, the, the Trent Bridge test that um, South Africa could do with Jack Callis. After the test, Fat Duplessis in his press conference uh, said Werner Philander was the new Jack Callis. So um, <laughs> he seems to have solved, solved that problem pretty quickly. Um, it's not quite in uh, the great man's league, but yeah, that performance at Trent Bridge, he, he's fantastic with bat and ball, and he, he looks like a, a genuine all-rounder in what we've seen sort of, uh, in the last couple of test matches. You know, he, he was fantastic with the bat, uh, and that really did rub the England's noses in it, really, in a, in a gap game they're always chasing after being um, dismissed for... 205 in their first innings. I mean, yeah, he, he looks um, full of confidence. I mean, it always helps when you, if you're bowling well and taking wickets, it helps you your batting. Just, I mean, all, all around, just say that. Um, and he's going to come into this test match with lots of confidence. And he will be wary of him, not just with the ball, but yeah, as you mentioned, with the bat as well. And one of the biggest changes between the first test and the second test was the return of Faf Duplessis, the skipper. Stocksy, how did you see his influence on the second test match? Uh, we talked about it here in Australia, and he's just like a general out there. He leads the troops so well, and they trust him. You can, you can really see there's a, a, a leader by example, and they just follow every word. They say He says jump, they say how high. Yeah, I mean, it just, just goes to show, doesn't it, what, what difference... Uh, a good captain can make to any team. Um, he's come back and he whatever he said to that that group of players before the Trent Bridge Test matches worked. 
maybe he didn't need to say anything maybe just his presence in the dressing room lifted everybody um but yeah he he obviously has something about him which produces the best from the players who are with him on the field um and yeah i mean he, he has the fast factor which uh, australia found out uh, last year helped south africa win over there um and it's looking like the fast factor could to prove decisive again in this series, England need to find a way to counteract it. But um, his influence and him, his impact on the team, his kind of duel with Joe, Joe Root and his opposite number is um, going to be a you know, defining factor in these final two tests. The faff factor, I like the sound of that. 100 tests at the Oval, Stocksy coming up. Uh, what's been your most memorable moment at the Oval? Wow, well, I could go through a few lashes. Wins, couldn't I? But I don't want to uh, <laughs> Don't want to bring up any bad memories. I'm not talking about 989 either. Um, yeah, I, my my favourite memory of the Oval was the first Test match I ever attended, which was uh, England against West Indies in 1991. Uh, it was my first Test, and it was Viv Richards' last. Uh, and England managed to win um, the Test on on a final day, the fifth and final day, uh, to draw a series to all. Um, it's the first time they've not lost against West Indies since 1974. It was Viv's last test, um, which was a emotional occasion for everyone there. You know, one of the greats of the game. Uh, and I felt really privileged to kind of, as a kid, as a 13-year-old kid, to be able to say I'd seen Viv Richards play. He kind of had a bit of a, a bit of this, the Bradman factor in his final innings. He came came on to bat, he needed 20 to average 50. Uh, over his entire innings, he ended up scoring 60. Um, it wasn't enough to kind of prevent the West Indies from losing that test, but it was still a great moment to see a, a great player in his last test innings and see England win a test match as well uh, against opposition who back then we all remember were, along with the Aussies, the best in the world and have kind of had England on the run for uh, several years. So, um, yeah, that, that's my favourite memory of my first match I ever went to. It's a bit of a changing of the guard. Richards out, stocks in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I think he's had a slightly better test career than me, but um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's well. a hard man to live up to. You can spin numbers any way you want, Stocksy. We're going to finish with a prediction. You got the second test horribly wrong. What's going to happen in the third test? Yeah, I said, didn't I, before you asked me that prediction last time, that cricket often makes a mug of you. Um, <laughs> so, oh, my prediction this time, Sam, flip a coin. I mean, I... Probably, you'd, you'd say South Africa, wouldn't you, after what they did at Trent Bridge, but then it would be just like England to come and win it. So I'm going to say draw. Weather's a bit dodgy over here at the moment, a bit of rain around, so I'm going to say a draw. Oh, you're sitting on the fence. Well, I think Short Broad and even uh, Trevor Bayliss addressed this, that they've just been so inconsistent, and it feels a little bit like the 2015 Ashes, that they lose a test, they win a test, they lose a test. They win a test, and for, fortunately or unfortunately for Australians, they lost. They won one, lost one, then they won two, and it was all over. So who knows? Maybe the the way they're going, they're they're very consistent with their inconsistency. Yeah, well, they have lost eight of the last thirteen tests, Sam. So they've been too consistent in losing in, in a lot of people's minds. But yeah, the, there's likenesses between this series, England Hope, and the 2015 Ashes, and. Um, Stuart actually mentioned that in his newspaper column um, yesterday, saying that England are drawing on the kind of inspiration from 2015, what they need to do after a heavy defeat. Remember in 2015, they lost to Lords. Mitchell Johnson uh, ran through England and that was a huge defeat, I think, by 400 runs. 
uh, and they came back and won the next two tests. So England are kind of hoping they can uh, revive the spirit of 2015 and, and come back with a, a strong performance here and in the last test at Old Trafford. But time will tell, Sam, whether they can do that or not. Time will tell. Chris, thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Brilliant. No worries, Sam. Thanks, mate. That's it for today's episode. A big thank you to Adam Gilchrist and Chris Stocks for coming on the show and to Damien Fleming for answering his mobile phone. We will be back again, but until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores and video. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.